Hi, this is Jerry Hicks, and I'm about to read to you from the teachings of Abraham, the book, The Astonishing Power of Emotions, or Let Your Feelings Be Your Guide, by Esther and Jerry Hicks. Esther and I have had the pleasure of meeting with some of the most influential people of our time, and we know of no one person who is more of a fountainhead for the outpouring of positive information and upliftment than Louise Hay, the founder of Hay House. For guided by Louise's vision, Hay House Incorporated has now become the world's largest disseminator of spiritual and self-improvement materials. And so to Louise Hay, and to each person she is attracted to her vision, we lovingly and with much appreciation dedicate this book. The Preface by Jerry Hicks This is a great book. For anyone who wants to know how to make their life work better, this is a great book. That was Esther's exclamation a moment ago while she was evaluating the finishing touches on this, our latest Abraham book, The Astonishing Power of Emotions. Esther and I have been writing and publishing books as a husband and wife team for two decades, and this is the first time she's told me that this is a great book instead of asking me, what do you think of it? In my opinion, this is the most innovative and powerful of the series of Abraham books that we've published up to this date. And so perhaps there will be some readers who will feel that this work is overly complicated or too leading edge for them to grasp. But on the other hand, there will likely be those who will feel that the information is overly simplified or maybe even inappropriate. My intent in writing this preface is to guide you around any feeling of it's too simple or it's too complicated to an awareness that this is practical, leading edge information that you can immediately put to use in order to create more of what you want or in order for you to be of more value to others. Now, what if someone told you that you do have a purpose in this life and that your purpose is that of allowing more joy? And what if someone told you that the true measure of your success in life is your joy? What if you were told that the inherent basis of your life is freedom and that not only were you born free, but because you have the freedom to choose your own thoughts, you always are free? What if it was explained to you that every time you reach for a thought that makes you feel better, you are, in that moment, achieving your purpose? You're adding to the improvement, to the evolution of the well-being of all that is. And what if you were informed that your seemingly solid beliefs are merely the coagulation of a series of individual thoughts that you had at one time thought and then continued to think? What if you were told that from the moment of your birth and even before, your thoughts and therefore the formation of your beliefs were largely influenced by those who came before you? And what if you were also told that the experiences of your life are, in essence, the result of your dominant thoughts and that the essence of the thoughts that you focus your attention on long enough becomes manifested into your reality? In other words, that which I feared has befallen me, or it's done unto you as you believe, or think and grow rich, or birds of a feather flock together, or as ye sow, so shall ye reap. So now consider this. If you had somehow been made aware of the preceding concepts, wouldn't you now want to personally test their validity? Wouldn't there be some points that you would want to clarify for yourself? Would you not perhaps feel inspired to take some form of practical action? Some of you, as you just now heard these words, felt them reach back into a place within you where you at one time remembered all of this. And if that was the case for you, you may be one who is ready to immediately begin to use this book to refresh your mind regarding not only who you really are, but also regarding the value and purpose of your life experience in this current time and place. That which you call your conscience is your imbued belief, fostered upon you by those who came before you, in that which is right, 
versus that which is wrong for you to be, do, or have. And because this belief system has been imposed upon you from the outside, it can also be modified by the decree of whoever is currently influencing your thoughts. In other words, our diverse and flexible consciences have been molded by the fears, praise, admonitions, and promised rewards or threatened punishments to be administered either now or later by those generations who have come before us. And so, in order to attempt to soothe the consciences of those who, in their fear, seek to control others, each new generation is instructed, even by the famous cartoon character Jiminy Cricket, to let your conscience be your guide. Because millions of previous cultures, societies, religions, rulers, leaders, and teachers, and parents, too, have been attempting to pass most of their belief systems on to the newest generation, we find ourselves sharing a world in which there is a wide range of conflicting opinions, as well as violent warfare, relative to whose conscience we should allow ourselves to be guided by. In other words, which thoughts, which beliefs, or conscience should be your guide as to that which is right or wrong for you? So, would this not be an appropriate question to ask yourself? Whose thoughts, beliefs, or ingrained conscience should be my guide as to what's right for me? Well, this book, with its subtitle, Let Your Feelings Be Your Guide, is being given to you in answer to that specific question. If my purpose is to discover ways to improve the way I feel, and if my thoughts equal my beliefs, equal my feelings, and thereby equal my experience, and if I can, by the law of attraction, the essence of that which is likened to itself is drawn, change my experience by changing my thoughts, then how can I ascertain which of my thoughts or beliefs will ultimately attract that which will ultimately please me? This book is unique in many respects, but mainly in that it was written to answer that very question, and the answer in brief is, I'll let my feelings be my guide. This work has been written in answer to your asking for more, it's not about trying to fix or save a world that doesn't want or need to be fixed or saved. It isn't broken. These teachings of Abraham are simply about you continuing to create the joyous, fulfilling life that you've intended to create, while allowing all others to create as they intend. You, no matter how wonderful you now feel, you want more. Regardless of how good you feel, you want to feel better. That's the mantra of the ever-expanding universe. More, more, more more expansion, more expression, more exposure, more desire, more life. Our planet Earth is populated by billions of us, each asking for an improved life, each asking for a way to feel better than we're now feeling. You and I, individually, have the option in every moment to allow ourselves to receive the well-being that's natural to us or to resist it. And, in like manner, the billions of others who are also asking for more have that same option. And while there's nothing that we can desire that our abundant, unlimited universe doesn't have the capacity to give, we cannot receive that which we do not allow. This book is meant to stand on its own as another comprehensive volume of the teachings of Abraham. However, it does rest firmly on the shoulders of the accumulated answers to the thousands of questions that so many of us have been asking of Abraham since they began communication with us in 1985. So, who is Abraham? I would describe them as an ineffable, non-physical phenomenon. I experience them as a group of extremely wise and unconditionally loving teachers of practical uses of the natural laws of the universe. I've described them as the purest form of love I have ever encountered. Abraham, in some manner, projects blocks of thought, not words, that Esther, my wife, somehow receives. 
similar to a radio receiver, in answer to our questions. They never impose themselves on us. They only come when asked for. Much as an interpreter might translate a Spanish conversation into English, thought for thought, but not word for word, Esther instantly converts the nonverbal thoughts projected by Abraham into English, Esther's native language. And while I don't understand precisely how Esther is able to do that, I do know that for more than 20 years I have loved every minute of it, because not only has it been personally fulfilling, but I've also had the ongoing pleasure of witnessing Abraham's value to the thousands of you who have been asking the questions that they have been answering. At the heart of these teachings, from the beginning of our interaction with them was Abraham's discussion of the universal law of attraction. If you'd like a wealth of free information regarding the law of attraction or the teachings of Abraham, visit our interactive website at www.abraham-hicks.com. In 1985, as this phenomenon began, I asked Abraham for the laws of the universe by which we could most naturally live our lives, as opposed to the unnatural laws that had been invented by humans as a means to control or inhibit other humans. The first law that Abraham gave us was the law of attraction, or the essence of that which is likened to itself as drawn. I don't recall having been aware of the term before Abraham, although as I write this today there seem to be very few in the English-speaking world who have not recently heard of the law of attraction. But with the clarity that Abraham focused on it back then, it was new and exciting to me. And so, in 1985, I began to create a series of 20 special subject cassette recordings of me asking questions of Abraham regarding ways to improve various aspects of our lives. Our first recording was entitled, The Law of Attraction, and that information has now been available for about 20 years, initially in the form of a free introductory recording, and then also as a free download on our website. Recently, we transcribed the first five of those 20 recordings and converted them into the first of what is to be a series of four Law of Attraction books. The Law of Attraction, the basics of the teachings of Abraham, and then Money and the Law of Attraction, Relationships and the Law of Attraction, and finally, there will be Spirituality and the Law of Attraction. During the subsequent two decades, many authors, screenwriters, and filmmakers, often they belong to our weekly subscription program, sensing the uniqueness, power, and value of Abraham's perspective of life and of the natural laws of the universe, especially the term law of attraction, began utilizing the Abraham materials in their many projects. They changed the word slightly and published this information under their own names, occasionally with a reference to where they found the information. Until today, the term law of attraction is in the minds and on the tongues of millions of people around the world. And yet, because Abraham's words were always changed, probably to avoid infringement of intellectual property rights laws, although many millions have now heard some version of the law of attraction, most have not received sufficient clear information from those abbreviated versions to truly understand this innovative concept well enough to deliberately utilize it. However, many authors do credit the teachings of Abraham for their inspiration. And Esther and I are most appreciative of those creative individuals who do point others back to the source where they first learned the depth and power of these principles as they have been presented to us through Esther by Abraham. You may find this of interest. In 1965, I discovered Napoleon Hill's classic book, Think and Grow Rich, and I utilized it deliberately, and it worked for me gloriously. Hill's principles worked so well for me that using Think and Grow Rich as a textbook and in conjunction with my business, I began teaching the principles I had been learning to others. My mission statement was at that time, as it is today, it is my intention 
that the lives of all people I interact with will either be elevated as a result of our interaction or they will be left where they are, but that no one will be diminished as a result of their association with me. After a few years of teaching Hill's Principles of Success, I came to realize that only a handful of those who were studying with me had achieved the magnitude of success that I was anticipating for all of them. And although there were many who did experience significant growth, there were also those who appeared to have no significant financial growth, no matter how many success courses they attended. In the first nine pages of Hill's book, he instructs the readers to look for the secret. He mentions the hidden secret 24 times. Well, I probably read that book over a thousand times between 1965 and 1982, but I was never certain that I ever really knew what the secret actually was. I sensed that something was missing. Somehow I sensed there was another factor in the financial success equation, and so I began to search for that missing link. During my continued search, even though I read through many books regarding many philosophies, Think and Grow Rich was still as close to what I'd been asking for as I'd been able to find. But much of what Hill knew he didn't include in the book because it wouldn't have been accepted by the mass market, and much of the secret that he did put in the book was edited out. About three years ago, I discovered an unabridged Think and Grow Rich manuscript. It had been republished by Melvin Powers' Wilshire Book Company, and as I compared it word for word with the version that I'd been using for over 40 years, I was amazed to discover that the secret had actually been skillfully edited out. It's no wonder that I was not able to discover Hill's secret. It wasn't there. I won't use the space here to go into much further detail, except to tell you that among the many other potent omissions, the word vibration was edited out of the book 37 times. Remember that point. I'll be referring to it later. And so it turned out that many of the secrets to success Napoleon Hill had discovered he didn't even try to publish, and much of the truth he did try to publish in his first edition was edited out. And now let's move forward 70 years to where Esther and I find ourselves amusingly enlightened regarding our experience of a publication of a truth. A television producer asked Esther and me to allow her to build a television show around our work. She brought her film crew on board one of our well-being adventure cruises and filmed the heart of her production around our workshop there on the ship. However, because of a series of fortuitous events, the movie evolved into a DVD format before its Australian network television airing. And as a result, the project became an enormous success. Millions of people around the world have viewed it. And although the show was named The Secret, and its advertised intention was to reveal to the world the previously hidden secret to success, little did the enthusiastic viewers know that the real secret that they had been seeking had once again been suppressed. In other words, before the show was allowed to be aired, we were informed that the powers that be had demanded that, among other things, Abraham's use of the keyword vibration be edited out of the project. Esther and I were astonished. Here, seven decades later, the public is again being so-called protected from the word vibration. And so it turned out that the real secret behind the secret was that the secret was still being kept a secret. When you're on the inside of an event like this, doesn't it make you wonder how much truth ever gets past the censors? However, I've come to believe that the reason why most of those innovative philosophical concepts are edited out by the media is not to try to hide the truth from the masses, but rather to be able to sell what the marketers believe the people will buy. Also, well-meaning people, in their desire to make innovative ideas more acceptable, often water down or reword new ideas to weaken or buffer the impact of their purity. Abraham has informed us that there's never a crowd on the leading edge of thought. 
However, in this new age of instant internet connection, we have learned that there are always among the crowd leading-edge thinkers. Esther and I have received the delightful news from our publisher this past week, March 2007, that our book, The Law of Attraction, transcribed from our 1985 recordings, has moved up the charts to arrive at the number two position on the New York Times bestseller list. Also, of the millions of books listed on Amazon.com, our first Hay House book, Ask It Is Given, has remained among the top 100 books purchased for nearly every day since it came out three years ago. We were told last week that our CD audiobook, The Law of Attraction, is at the number three position of all those available on iTunes, and that beginning this month, the teachings of Abraham are now on display at Walmart, Sam's Club, Target, and Costco. In other words, they are now available at each of more than 10,000 mass retail outlets and regular bookstores, and the list goes on. We even had the pleasure and honor this month of creating three radio shows with the brilliant and fun-loving television host, Oprah Winfrey. Why am I pointing this out here? Well, now that this information is so readily accessible to mainstream audiences, we're beginning to hear a wide variety of mainstream responses via various book reviews. And now I've begun reading the online reviews. Ah, how sweet it is to read of how much pleasure these books are bringing to so many of those who now have the opportunity to learn from them. But ouch! The sting of one bee in a bouquet of fragrant flowers. For instance, there are critics who denounce the message because they believe Esther is profiting by faking her means of reception of these teachings. In other words, they say she's channeling so that readers will buy the books. And then there are those opposite critics who would denounce the information because they do believe that Esther is receiving these teachings directly from Abraham. But they have been told by the programmers of their conscience that there's something wrong with allowing a book to be written in that manner. How would you please them all? Well, we learned long ago that no one can please everyone, so we decided early in 1985 to self-publish our material so that we could make available whatever practical information we would receive from Abraham, uncensored, in its purity, to those who are asking the questions that are being answered by Abraham. When Louise Hay requested that we ask Abraham to write a comprehensive book and allow Hay House to publish it, that was asking its given in 2004, she stated to her executives, we will inform our entire staff that Abraham's words are not to be changed during the editing process. We're going to allow Abraham's teachings to reach out in their purity into the entire world. Esther and I are indescribably pleased that Louise and her publishing company are in the process of fulfilling that intention, of providing this magnificent material in its pure form to those people of the world who are asking for it. And we also appreciate those people of the world who are asking for it. We do adore facilitating the publication of yet another magnificent book that will continue the dissemination of the teachings of Abraham, but our greatest joy is in the translation, the creation of the information. There is nothing that pleases Esther or me more than providing a forum where people from diverse environments can gather, lending their unique perspectives, asking Abraham their important questions. To actually feel the evolution and expansion of this message as it is honed and finely tuned by the never-ending questions of those like you must surely be what Esther and I have been born to do. And the reason we know that is because it feels so very, very good to do it. From my heart, Jerry Hicks. Chapter 1. Abraham welcomes us all to planet Earth. So here you are, living your life in your wonderful body on this magnificent planet. And while it's not the first day of your arrival here, we would like to welcome you to planet Earth. Since you've been here for a while, it may seem strange that we're now welcoming you, but we do so because we want to help you gain a new viewpoint of this lifetime, of your existence, and of you. 
We have a clear view of you and your current life experience, but we also have the ability to step back and see you and your life in a much broader context than you can see it from your current perspective. It's our desire that our explanation of you in its broader view will assist you in realizing the perfection in this eternal plan of life. We know that your birth into your physical body seems as if it was the beginning of that which you are, but it was far from the beginning of you. It's a bit like you're walking into a movie theater and feeling that your entry into this theater is the beginning of you. You might argue from your physical point of view that walking into a movie theater is far different from being born into your body as an infant because when you enter the theater you do not forget what happened before you entered. You remember who you were and what you were doing before you walked into the theater. You have a keen sense of continuity about before you walked into the theater as it relates to being in the theater and what comes after being in the theater. In other words, it does not feel to you as if a new life began for you when you entered the theater. But we are attempting to stretch your perception a little so that you can begin to realize that when you were born into the body which you now refer to as you, you were not beginning then either. It's our desire to reawaken within you that broader sense of continuity as you start to remember who you were before you came into this body. And even more, it's our desire that you allow yourself to become that broader perspective focused here and now, but remembering who you really are and why you have come forth into this body. Also, you might say, but unlike the day I was born, when I walked into the movie theater, I was mature. I was able to speak and walk and feed myself. And while we certainly understand why your small size and physical immaturity makes it seem as if you were only then beginning, that is not the case. Your new body and new surroundings provide a new opportunity for a very wise and very old being to continue to expand in new ways. As your broader perspective of who you really are awakens within you, your appreciation of this life experience will be tremendously enhanced. As you look at life on planet Earth in this greater context, your fears will be diminished and your natural eagerness for life will explode within you. The value of your faith. So here we stand, looking at you and your life in its broadest of contexts, attempting to explain it to you from where you now stand. But you cannot see you from our perspective, and of course when you do see yourself from our perspective, then our explanation will be unnecessary anyway. In this section of the book, we're going to express our perspective of you and of us and how we relate to one another. We cannot impress our viewpoint upon you. However, as you read these words and ponder them fully in an attitude of faith or wanting to understand, together we'll build enough bridges as you move through the pages of this book so that as you turn to the last word of this book, you will be able to understand and hold our viewpoint. Not because our words will have been so powerful that they will have transformed you, but because the combination of the logic of our words and the unfolding of your own life will transform your faith or hope into knowing. And what a wonderful state of being to know with absolute certainty the existence of your being and the reason for your existence, and to have a full realization of all that you are. And then you can get on with what you came to do. Live your eternally expanding life in joy. This glorious planet thrilled you. While the idea of coming forth into a new physical body on planet Earth was certainly not a new idea to you, it was an absolutely exhilarating idea. For from your non-physical perspective, prior to your physical birth, you understood all of the implications of this new birth. You understood the perfect and stable environment into which you would be born, and you felt unbounded enthusiasm for its variety. 
What you felt most was the freedom and unlimited nature of this environment. The diverse beauty of the physical nature of your planet thrilled you as you anticipated your arrival, but you were also thrilled with the beauty of the diversity of the people and ideas that were waiting for you. At no point in your preparation for making your new entrance into this physical body did you feel concerned about the perspective of the inhabitants of your planet. Not once did you feel a need to get here so that you could set them straight or show them the error of their ways or correct their course. You saw this planet as diverse, ever-changing, and perfect, and you came forth with an eagerness that defies verbal description. And because of the secure vantage point from which you were coming, you were not guarded or concerned about your entrance or about what would surround you once you got here. Instead, you knew that you had within you the resources not only to cope with your new environment, but also to mine it for the joyous expansion that you are eternally about. And so here you are. And while you did not just get here... Everything that you've just read still holds true. It is our desire to restore your understanding to what it was just before you came into this body so that you can now experience this magnificent life experience in this wonderful body on this glorious planet in the way that you intended. So, dear friends, welcome to planet Earth. Chapter 2. Remembering the Big Picture While we are eager to get to the heart of this book, which is a complete explanation of the power and value of your emotions and how to understand them and effectively utilize the guidance that they provide, it's necessary that we first give you a broader view of your eternal nature. While this description of you may seem foreign to you upon your first reading, as you absorb it and consider it fully, you'll begin to feel a recognition of this view. For at deeper and broader levels of your own being, you already know this. And so these words will help you remember. By your physical standards, where you define your experience in physical terms with physical places and such, you would likely define the non-physical realm as a non-place. But even though non-physical differs from physical in many ways, and while you cannot perceive it accurately from your physical perspective, it exists, it is real, it is vast, and it is a place, or rather a non-place, of pure positive energy. Prior to your emergence in this physical body, you were fully aware and conscious in the non-physical realm. In other words, you understood yourself as you in the same way that you now identify yourself as you. And in the same way that you stand in your physical body, looking out into your world, translating what you see through the lens of your own personal perspective, from your non-physical vantage point, you also translate everything that you behold from your own powerful personal perspective. The non-physical you has an eternally expanding identity through which you perceive life, and from that vantage point you observe, you think, you imagine, you ponder, you know, and you feel. So, from that broad non-physical perspective, you came forth into this physical body. You came as an extension of the pure positive energy being that you are in the non-physical, and as you were born and you donned the body and personality that you and others identify as you, that conscious being that existed in the non-physical realm still exists there. In the same way that a thinker thinks a thought but still exists separately from the thought he or she thinks, the non-physical you thought you, but still exists separately from the you that was thought. In other words, when you give birth to an idea, you still exist to give birth to another idea. And so, from your non-physical vantage point, you gave birth to the physical you. And when the vibrational projection of thought, which extended from the non-physical into the physical, converged with the physical body that was conceived and grew in your mother's womb, you were born. So what was once an idea, which was considered and imagined, has now become a physical reality. The idea of you 
has now become a physical reality, and the non-physical you who gave birth to the idea remains non-physically focused. And so because of your physical birth, it has now become even more fully expanded. So now, not only has the non-physical you expanded, but you now have two powerful points of view, your physical viewpoint and your non-physical viewpoint. And there is nothing that will ever be more important for either of these two wonderful perspectives than their relationship to each other. Everything that you are living is about your physical and non-physical points of view and how they interplay with one another. The reason we're writing this book is to help you understand that through discovering the astonishing power of your emotions, then and only then can you clearly understand your relationship with the non-physical you. Your relationship with your inner being. Now, as we define and describe these two important aspects of you, Rather than referring to them as you and you, it would be more clarifying to refer to the physical you as you and the non-physical aspect of you as your inner being. You could call your inner being source, soul, or God, but we like the name inner being since it is the root of that which you are and you can feel it within you. So, from your non-physical perspective, your inner being projected its consciousness into the physical you and you were born. And now here you are, living, breathing, thinking, and being, and at the same time, your inner being is living, thinking, and being. We like to refer to this time and place in which you're focused as the leading edge of thought. And when you think about your broader, non-physical inner being extending itself forward into this life experience, it's easier to understand that this physical realm in which you're focused surely is the furthermost extension of that which is source. Humans hold a variety of beliefs regarding their pre-physical origin, but a very common thread weaves through many of those beliefs, which is actually the opposite of the way it really is. And that incorrect belief is that God is non-physical and therefore perfect and therefore complete in that perfection, and that a human has been given physical life in order to work to achieve that perfection or to catch up with God. What we want you to remember is that you and your physical body are an extension of that which humans call God. And because you are the furthermost extension of God or source, then God is also experiencing that expansion because of you, through you, and with you. When we use the word God to express this non-physical source energy, we find that because it reminds people of the ideas they already hold around this word, it often prevents them from being able to find the deeper clarity that we seek to provide. And for that reason, we rarely describe this non-physical source energy with the word God. The word God just activates within most of you what you already think about the subject. So instead of the label God, we will use the label source. And this non-physical source experiences constant expansion through you, even when you are unaware of its existence or of its connection to you. Chapter 3. The Universe Continues to Expand Through You. So, you were non-physical source energy, and still are, and from that non-physical vantage point, you projected a part of your consciousness here into this physical body. And so here you are, exploring the wonderful detail and contrast of this leading-edge time-space reality. Now, here in your physical body, you're surrounded by wonderful specific details of contrasting life experience that you're able to decipher through your physical senses. And as you live your life, day by day and segment by segment, your personal deciphering of life causes a further expansion of the universe. As you observe your world, you're seeing it through your eyes, hearing it through your ears, and smelling it, tasting it, touching it through your deciphering senses. In other words, you cannot help but see your world through your personal and important perspective of self.
And in that natural process of perceiving life from your perspective of self, you cannot help but give birth to new preferences and to desires for things that, from your perspective, would be even better still. In other words, by living life from your selfish point of view, you are discovering improvements. Many of our physical friends do not like the idea of being selfish, but that is because they misunderstand a fundamental principle of life. You cannot be other than selfish, for you cannot observe, perceive, or be other than from your perspective of self. All points of consciousness, even one-celled organisms, perceive, and they do so from the ever-changing, selfish perspective that they currently hold. Even without words, you are creating. As you live your life, having personal experiences and observing experiences that others are living, you often see things that you clearly do not want. And each time that occurs, a clarification of what you do want erupts within you. Occasionally, the experience is so dramatic that you could clearly state, I don't want that, and now I understand that what I want instead is... You always know more clearly what you do want when you're faced with what you do not want. But whether you're consciously aware of it or not, all day... Every day, you are giving birth to new desires that are being born from the details of the life you're living out on the leading edge of thought. Most humans are not aware of this process of expansion. Even when they read these words explaining it, most do not find it of any particular significance to their own life experience. But from your non-physical perspective, before you came into this body, you found it compelling. In fact, there was no thought that was more exhilarating to you, because you understood then that the entire expansion of the universe occurs in just that way. You knew that your leading-edge experience on planet Earth would literally inspire expansion within you, and that the delicious contrast of this time-space reality was the stuff that puts the eternalness in eternity. But, of course, from that non-physical perspective, you were able to see the entire picture of creation and expansion, and that is why we are reminding you again of it now. Your inner being flows with new desires. And so, whether you're consciously aware of your new expanded desire or not, desire is born out of the contrast you're living. For during that process of you knowing what you do not want, the clear, expanded idea of what you prefer instead is born, and your inner being or the source within you, turns its undivided attention to that new expanded idea. Now, this is the most important part of this story of creation and of your physical human leading-edge creative part in it. In the moment that a new and improved version of life is born out of the life you're living, you have the option of aligning with the new idea or of resisting it. And the choice that you make in that moment is really what this book is all about. But even more important, it's what your life of joy or of misery is about, for that is the point of your joyfully allowing you to be you or not. So, from your non-physical perspective, or source perspective, before your birth into this physical body, you eagerly understood these things. You would be focused in a physical body. You would be living amongst a wide variety of contrast. The contrast that you would be living would stimulate new ideas of improvement and expansion within you. And, the broader, non-physical part of you, your inner being, would embrace the new ideas fully and would literally become their vibrational equivalent. Thought always precedes manifestation. In the creation of everything that exists, thought always comes first. Everything that you see around you was once a thought or an idea, a vibrational concept that matured into what you call physical reality. 
When standing on the furthermost expanded edge of any creation, it's not possible to see back far enough to comprehend its beginning, but everything that exists in what you see as reality or manifested form was at one time an idea that was thought upon long enough that, by the law of attraction, it reached the maturity in which you now behold it. Nothing exists that is outside of this process of creation. Your planet was conceived from the non-physical realm long before that which you call human walked upon it. And as that non-physical focus, from what humans call source, was cast upon the idea of it, your wondrous leading-edge time-space reality was created. First there is thought, and as more thought is offered to any subject, the thought begins to take form until there's a manifestation of that which humans call reality. So, not unlike the creation of the planet itself, as you stand in your physical bodies, as manifested extensions of that which you call source, you continue the creation of your planet and life upon it through your thought. As you know what you do not want, you know more clearly what you do want, and so an improved idea is born from the contrast you're living. As you sift through the details of your life experience day by day and moment by moment, you radiate a constant barrage of vibrational offerings, we call them rockets of desire, outward. With each vibrational rocket of desire, the source within you, the source from which you have come, the source still focused from the non-physical perspective, focuses intently upon your newly expanded version of life and becomes it. And as this never-ending process continues, from you living life and coming to new and improved conclusions about what you desire, at both spoken and unspoken levels, that broader, non-physical part of you expands. Your hopes and dreams and intentions and ideas for improvement are held for you in a sort of vibrational escrow. And that escrow account, if you will, is held for you, tended for you, and nurtured for you, waiting for your withdrawal from it. Not only is it being held for you, but the larger part of you has already become it and is constantly and eternally calling the physical part of you toward it. So now, what is actually happening is that the physical you is being called forward by the non-physical you for the completion of the idea that you have given birth to. And, in its purest, non-resisted form, that calling feels to you like passion or enthusiasm. And so, now, the most important question is, are you letting you join the newly created, newly expanded version of you? And the answer to that all-important question lies in the way that you feel. The better you feel, the more you're allowing that connection, and the worse you feel, the more you are disallowing or resisting that connection. When you feel love or joy or any positive emotion, you're literally being the expanded version that life has caused you to become. When you feel fear, anger, or despair or any negative emotion, you are not, in this moment, by virtue of whatever it is that you're giving your attention to, allowing yourself to be that new expanded version. You are not letting yourself keep up with who you have become. Chapter 4. You are a vibrational being. You perceive your current physical environment through the utilization of your physical senses. This interpretation of your environment happens so naturally, without the necessity of deliberate attention or focus, that most of our physical friends have no conscious realization that they are interpreting vibration into what they see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. As you watch your television, 
you understand that the people and places you are seeing are not miniature versions of life playing out inside the small box or the thin screen that you're now watching. You understand that the machine is somehow receiving signals and translating them into meaningful images and displaying them on the monitor for your viewing pleasure. And while analogies are never perfect, the idea that we want you to consider is that in a similar manner, you are the receiver of vibrational signals that you are translating through your physical senses into the reality that you're living. And as you interact with so many other vibrational beings, together you are creating an extraordinary reality. You do not need training from other wise physical friends in order to utilize your eyes in order to see. Hearing, smelling, tasting, and the sensation of touch through your skin also came so naturally that no discussion on how to do it was necessary. In other words, you were born into a physical body that contained within its cells the knowledge of translating vibration into meaningful life experience. You have a sixth sense. Beyond the five physical senses that you're actively aware of, there is another less realized sense, the sense of emotion. Just as with your other five senses, that sixth sense, which was active within you on the day you were born, requires no training in order for you to understand that it exists. Just as no one taught you to see or to hear, smell, taste, or touch, you do not need training in order to recognize that you're feeling emotions. In fact, your awareness of your emotions is evidenced by the conversations you have as you define your life experience and your awareness of it. You often explain how you feel about this or that, like my feelings are hurt, or I feel happy, or I feel bad, or I feel lonely, or I feel guilty. Emotions play a large role in the life experience of you and everyone you know, but few have any conscious awareness of the astonishing power and value of their emotions. It is our intention here to assist you in the hearing of these words to come to a fuller conscious understanding of your emotions, how it is that they exist, what they mean, and, most important, how to utilize your awareness of them in a meaningful way. We intend to explain to you that your emotions are literally your indication of how you are blending with you. So back to the big picture. You were non-physically focused, and still are. You projected a part of that non-physical consciousness into your current physical body, and so you are born into this body. Utilizing your physical senses, you perceive your environment and give birth to continuing new rockets of desire. The non-physical part of you that still remains non-physically focused sees your new desire and gives full attention to it and literally becomes it and now stands as the vibrational equivalent of this new expanded version of you. All day, every day, your physical life experience causes you to expand and with each encounter with other people, with the things you read, with the things you see, with experiences you have, you give birth to continual rockets of desire. When someone is rude to you, you desire that others be kinder. When you are misunderstood, you desire to be understood. When you do not have enough money, wellness, or friendship, you want more of those things. Life causes you to constantly become more. In other words, a new and improved you, by your standards and perceptions, is in a constant state of becoming. For the non-physical part of you is constantly becoming whatever it is that you're asking for. Chapter 5 your emotions are absolute indicators. So, when your perception of your current life experience causes a realization that you do not have enough of something, such as money, time, clarity, or stamina, your desire evolves. Whenever you know what is lacking, you know more clearly what it is that you desire. In other words, in the midst of sickness, your desire for wellness is always clearly amplified. And as your desires evolve, 
all day, every day, that non-physical part of you evolves, because that part of you also flows with the new ideas and desires in the moment that you give birth to each and every one of them. If you were as sure of who you are as the inner part of you is, you could also turn your undivided attention toward the new ideas. And if you were to do that, you would feel an eagerness for life, a clarity of mind, and a vitality of body that would be indescribably wonderful. In other words, if you were able to keep up with you, the exhilaration of that connection would be delicious. And conversely, when you do not allow yourself to keep up with who you have become, you feel the discomfort of that resistance. The emotions that you feel in any moment of life are the indicators of the vibrational relationship between you and you. Your emotions are telling you whether your current active thought and subsequent vibrational offering matches the vibration of your evolved source self or not. When the signals match or come close to matching, you feel wonderful. When the signals do not match, you do not feel so good. And so an awareness of your emotions and what they mean is essential to your conscious evolution. In very plain and simple terms, you must find a way to allow yourself to keep up with what life is causing you to become if you are to live the joyous life you came here to live. Your expansion is constant. If your observation of your life experience causes you to realize that you do not have enough money to do some of the things you want to do, your desire for more money is amplified, and your vibrational escrow now expands to include that desire. Everything that happens throughout your day that causes you to realize that you want or need more money causes additional amendments to your desire regarding your financial abundance. If your observation of your life experience causes you to realize that your body does not look or feel the way you want it to, your desire for that improved bodily condition is amplified, and your vibrational escrow now expands to include that desire also. If your interaction with other people at your place of work causes you to realize that you're not appreciated, your desire for appreciation is amplified. When you are bored with what you're doing, your desire for more stimulating things to work on is amplified. When someone at work is promoted and given a raise, your desire for more recognition or appreciation is then amplified. When you do not have a significant relationship, your desire for one is amplified. When your current relationship feels like a struggle, your desire for a more compatible relationship is amplified. In every waking moment of your life, you're utilizing the data that makes up the details of your life in order to expand, and this expansion is constant. And with every detail that you chew upon, you exude vibrational requests for improvement, and the broader part of you, your inner being or source, becomes that expanded version that your life has asked for. It's all about aligning your thoughts. So you've now heard several times in the beginning pages of this book our words that you must allow yourself to keep up with that which you're becoming if you're to live the joyful life that you've come forth to live. This important premise is not only the basis of this valuable book, but it is the foundation of your joyful life experience. We do not see many of you taking issue with the idea that when you do not have enough of something that you want, your desire to have it is even more amplified. And no one questions that once you've identified that you really want something, you'd feel better in the having of it. But there's a very important distinction that we want you to understand that will help you mold your life into that which pleases you. This is a mental process, not an action process. It's about aligning your thoughts. It's not about taking action in order to achieve results. When your life causes you to realize that you want more money, we're not suggesting that you get another job or change your activities in some way to get more money. When your life causes you to realize that you have 50 pounds more body weight than you desire, we're not suggesting that you go on a strict diet or begin intense exercise to reduce your weight. 
When you are unappreciated at work, we're not suggesting that you confront someone demanding more appreciation or that you quit your job and try to find another position where appreciation is offered more easily. Allowing yourself to become what life has caused you to desire is not about action. It's about the aligning of thought energies. It's about focusing your attention in the direction of your desire rather than looking back at the current condition that's given birth to your desire. And while you may very well eventually become inspired to some action, it's the alignment of thought energy, a vibrational alignment, that you're seeking. When you achieve vibrational alignment, any inspired action will feel wonderful. Without the vibrational alignment, any action taken will feel difficult. With the vibrational alignment, your every effort will yield wonderful results or return on your time. Without the vibrational alignment, the outcome of your effort will be disappointing, resulting in discouragement as you conclude, this just doesn't work for me. This is the end of CD1. Chapter 6. Vibrational Alignment Feels Like Relief when we speak of vibrational alignment, we're referring to aligning the vibrations within your being only. It has nothing to do with anything that anyone else is doing. This sometimes raises a question in those who hear us say that because it seems to many people that the only problems they have are due to their interaction with other people. So doesn't something need to be done about those individuals? It's true, you're interacting with others, and often that interaction is the source of your discomfort or problem, but asking them to be different is not the answer. Most of them are not willing to change for you anyway. And even when they are willing, they cannot consistently be what you need them to be in order for you to feel good. The answer to your feeling good is only in the alignment of the energy within you. And as we've said before, it's about you allowing yourself to keep up with what the larger part of you has become. For example, let's say that you're having a perfectly nice day. You've rested well, you've eaten well, and you're happily involved in a project that's pleasing to you, and then someone you care about comes to you with a problem. Not only is there a problem, but the person also thinks that you should take some sort of action to solve the problem. This could be your mate, one of your children, an employee, a client, a friend, or perhaps even someone you do not know. In this example, let's say that one of your employees, whom you love and care about, is having an interpersonal relationship problem with other employees whom you also care deeply about. As you listen to this person presenting his or her perspective on the situation, you begin to feel your happiness diminishing, your vitality diminishing, your clarity diminishing, and now you feel sad, tired, and confused. You listen politely, and your mind races to find solutions. You find yourself relating to what this person is telling you as you hear his or her description of that situation. And you begin to feel overwhelmed as you realize that you really do not have enough knowledge or time to gather enough information to make a rational decision about how to solve this problem. You want to gather the information, perhaps talk with others involved in order to get a clear view of the situation. But as you take the action of more discussion and begin to make suggestions for changes in policies or activities, you feel worse still. The more you listen and discuss... And the more people you talk with about the situation, the more powerless you feel as you realize that you cannot begin to unravel this situation and get to the bottom of it. And while you have the power to make sweeping decisions, in fact, if they were employees, you could fire them all and begin with a fresh and willing new group, you can feel the futility of that action as well. While you are usually not aware of it at the time, a wonderful opportunity for expansion is occurring because in the midst of this uncomfortable turmoil, you're giving birth to expanded rockets of desire. 
With every part of this situation in which you know what you do not want, a counter-rocket of desire is launched, and the broader, non-physical part of you has become a vibrational match to that expanded desire. And the discomfort that you're feeling right now, which seems like a response to what your employee is complaining about, is actually the discord between your current thought of what's gone wrong and the expanded desire that your inner being is newly embracing. The vibrations within you are now out of alignment. And when you are out of vibrational alignment, there is no action that will solve the problem. You will not find effective action or words or even thoughts or ideas from your place of misalignment. In fact, any of that which is attempted from your place of misalignment will only serve to make matters worse. If we were standing in your physical shoes, our every effort would be pointed toward one result. We would be looking for a way, any way, to feel better. We would do our best from where we stand to find a way of finding some sort of emotional relief about this unsettled subject, because when some relief is discovered, you're on the way to an alignment of energy. Putting your canoe into the stream. Imagine putting your canoe with oars already inside in a river and floating on the current, and then deliberately turning your canoe upstream and paddling with all your strength against the flow. And as we see you in your boat, paddling very hard against the current, we ask, what do you think about turning your canoe downstream and going with the current? And most reply, turn downstream? Oh, that just seems lazy. But how long can you keep that up, we ask. I'm not sure, most answer, but it's my duty or responsibility to figure that out. And then, if we were to visit long with most people, they would go on to explain, this is just what we all do here. It's what my mother did and her mother before her. Anyone who amounts to anything works diligently against the current. All trophies and monuments are erected to honor those hard-working people who stayed strong against the current. And anyway, people often remind us, there are even more rewards after we die for those who work hard like this. We watch you getting more efficient at fighting the current. Your muscles get stronger, your boats become sleeker, and you discover more effective oars. And always we listen patiently as we hear a variety of versions on this same general theme of justification for paddling upstream. But then we always explain what we consider to be the most important thing that our physical friends could ever hear from us. Nothing that you want is upstream. The reason that we are so certain that nothing that you want is upstream is because we understand the stream. We have seen it in its origin, and we watch it as it increases in size and speed. We know what the current is and why it flows the way it does, and we understand where this stream will lead you if you will but allow it. This is the stream of life and it was in motion before you came forth into your physical body. And from your non-physical perspective, as you set forth your intentions to be here on this planet in this body, you added to the current of this fast-moving stream. And now, focused in this physical body, you continue to add to the current of the stream by sifting through the data of your life and coming to personal conclusions about what you do not want, which produces the natural asking for what you do want. For with every asking, whether of great or small importance, you add to the speed of the current of the stream. Whenever your life causes you to ask for something beyond what you're living, the non-physical part of you rides that rocket of desire and literally becomes a vibrational fulfillment of your request. Every question you ask causes a formulation of an answer, and your inner being focuses upon that answer. Every problem you face causes a formulation of a solution, and your inner being not only focuses upon that solution, but also literally becomes it vibrationally. If you will allow it, this stream, this fast-moving current, will carry you downstream to the fulfillment of everything that your life has caused you to create. For it is all there for you, in a sort of vibrational escrow, 
waiting for you to flow to it. Your inner being has already become it. When your life causes you to ask for something beyond where you are, the broader non-physical source energy, inner being, part of you, becomes a vibrational equivalent of what you're asking for. We talked about that earlier when we explained that you are continually evolving and that with everything that life causes you to ask for, your inner being becomes that expanded you. The law of attraction is the most powerful law in the universe. It's the vibrational manager of all that exists. Everything that exists, seen or unseen, tangible or invisible, electronic or materialistic, physical or non-physical, is not only affected but is managed by this powerful universal law. In simple terms, this law says the essence of that which is likened to itself is drawn. Whether they are contemplating the well-documented physics of electronics or noticing that their own habitual thoughts are rendering them circumstances and experiences that perfectly match their moods and attitudes regarding all things, many are consciously recognizing the basis of this powerful law in their own experiences. The powerful law of attraction is responding to the vibration of that which the greater part of you has become. And as the law of attraction responds to the vibration of the expanded you, the current flows. For the current of this stream of life is literally the momentum that's caused by the law of attraction's response to the vibration of your expanded being. The big question, the question that this book seeks to answer is, what are you, in your physical form, doing in relationship to the vibration of your expanded self? Are you letting yourself be up to the vibrational speed with what you have become or not? Chapter 7. The Vibrational Gap Between You and You because life has caused you to expand, and because the law of attraction is now responding to the vibration of that expanded you, you can now consciously feel your response to that moving energy. That is precisely what your emotions are. If the thoughts you're thinking in this moment are in alignment with the vibration of the broader you, you feel the harmony of that alignment in the form of positive feeling emotions. But if the thoughts you're thinking in this moment are out of alignment with the vibration of the broader you, you feel the disharmony of that alignment in the form of negative emotions. So, going back to the analogy of you and your canoe in the stream. When you're allowing yourself to float freely in the stream without resistance, thus closing the gap between where you are right now and who the broader part of you has become, you feel your alignment in the form of positive emotion. But if you're still paddling upstream, holding yourself against the natural current of your own evolution, your resistance to the stream and to that which the larger part of you has become is evidenced in the form of negative emotion. The Power of Your Guiding Emotions If someone you did not know contacted you in some way and said to you, Hello, you don't know me, but I wanted to tell you that I'll never contact you in any way again, you would say, All right. You would not feel sad or disappointed that you would not hear from this stranger again. But if someone important to you were to tell you that, you would feel strong negative emotion. The emotion that you feel always indicates the vibrational difference between your point of desire and your current thought. You could say that your emotions indicate the difference between your desire and your belief or between your desire and your expectation. We like to explain that your emotions indicate the vibrational relationship between the vibration of who you have really become and who you are allowing yourself to be right now because of the thoughts you're thinking. For example, when you're feeling proud of yourself, the feelings that you're experiencing are indicating alignment between the vibration or thought of your inner being and the vibration or thought of you right here, right now. When you feel ashamed or embarrassed, those feelings indicate that you in your now are thinking thoughts about yourself that are very different from the thoughts that the broader part of you is having about you. 
Before your emotions can be meaningful to you, before you can allow them to give you the precise and perfect guidance that they're offering, you must understand that you are a being with two points of perspective that are continually relating to each other. When you understand that your inner being, or the expanded being that you're becoming, stands as the furthermost culmination of life and constantly calls you forward to that, then you begin to understand the feeling of passion or eagerness that's present when you're allowing your movement toward your expanded self. And you also understand the feeling of being unfulfilled or of uneasiness when you're not allowing your movement toward your expanded self. There is just no way of getting around it. You must allow yourself to be the being that life is causing you to become if you are to feel joy. And unless you're feeling joy, you're not allowing yourself to be that which life has caused you to become. Emotions indicate the degree of your alignment. As you know from your own life experience, a variety of feelings move through you depending on what's happening, what you're observing, and what you're thinking. Your emotion, whether it feels good or bad, is a vibrational indicator of the relationship between the vibration of your broader self and you. Your emotions indicate the degree of your alignment with who you have become. They show you if, in this moment, you're keeping up with yourself or not. Over time, you've come to describe the variety of feelings or emotions with many different words. And because of the number of individuals who have felt these emotions, and because of the many generations of people having a variety of experiences, you have come to a somewhat consistent agreement on what you're feeling and the words you would use to describe it. We would much prefer that you find yourself in feelings of eagerness and love and joy than in those of fear or hatred or anger. But because we understand the vibrational reason for these emotions, we do not attempt to guide you from the emotion of fear directly to the emotion of joy, for we understand that the vibrational difference is too great to span all at once. And, in fact, we see no reason to try to make the jump all at once, because a gradual movement in the direction of feeling better is all that is necessary or even possible. Nothing that you want is upstream. Everything that you see around you, land, sky, rivers, buildings, and even people and animals, was thought vibration before it became the physical things you now observe. While most do not realize it, you're standing on the leading edge of thought. Further, you're so good at translating vibration through your senses of sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch, that for the most part, you are unaware of the translation process at all. It's just life, and you're living it. But if you can grasp the concept that everything that you see around you in manifested form was thought vibration first, and then thought form, and finally the manifestation as you see it now, the bigger picture of creation will begin to come into view for you. And then, not only will you have a clearer picture of how things that you call real-life experience come to be, but you will also feel the current from which all things come, and upon which all things flow. What we mean when we say nothing that you want is upstream, is that your desires, because you have already thought about them and asked for them, are already in the process of being created. In the same way that a round object will roll downhill of its own accord without needing an engine or added impetus from outside influences, your desires are, in a sense, easily and naturally rolling toward their own conclusions as well. Once your life has caused the creation of a desire, your work is done, and natural forces and laws will take over. The best way we have come to explain to you this pattern of natural evolution is in our analogy of the current of the river. Your every request, large or small, adds to the current of this river, and literally everything that you have ever asked for is downstream, where you can easily find it, experience it, possess it, or live it. Chapter 8. Your life flows in a natural cycle. 
We like the analogy of you and your canoe on the river because it points out the futility of trying to paddle against the current. When you remember that you're source energy, that you came into this body from source, and that now in this body you're giving birth to leading-edge desires, which source then becomes and calls you toward, you understand the real river of life. And then you understand the futility of trying to paddle upstream against this current. If you will consider these important ideas and integrate them into your thinking until they become the cornerstone of that which you are, you will then be able to get on with what you've intended when you came forth into this body. You will then be able to live the joyous life experience that you came forth to live. Before your birth, from your perspective of source, you set forth the thought of coming forth into this physical body. From your source perspective, you gave birth to the idea or thought of you. The law of attraction responded to that idea and called forth the manifestation of you. Now in this body, you give birth to expanded ideas of your life. The law of attraction now responds to those ideas and calls them forth into manifestation. Now, from an existing perspective, another thought is given. The law of attraction responds to that thought and momentum is created. And that momentum, caused by the law of attraction's response to thought, is the current of life. As you consciously accept the eternal nature of your being, the idea of never-ending expansion is an easy concept to follow. As you consciously accept that you are an eternally expanding being, then living life in this fantastically diverse physical environment where new ideas are continually born makes perfect sense. As you understand that you are that eternal being at the same time that you are physically focused here, you begin to see the process of creation in an even clearer way. When you remember that the inner being part of you always responds to the expanded idea that your physical life has given birth to, you begin to get a sense of the momentum of this stream. And finally, when you understand that the law of attraction is responding to that furthermost idea with the same energy that creates worlds, you then get a further sense of the momentum of this stream. It is from our broad view of the laws of the universe and your important place within it that we can clearly remind you that everything that you want is downstream in this glorious current of creation. And when you relax into the inevitable well-being that is your true legacy, you then begin to live life in the way that you had intended before your physical birth. Just let go of the oars. Most people continually try to calculate the distance from where they are to where they want to be. How much farther do I have to travel? How much more do I need to do? How much more weight do I need to lose? How much more money do I need? And this is primarily because in your physical format, you tend to be action-oriented. We would like you to understand, however, that as you begin to approach your world in terms of vibration rather than action, and in terms of thought rather than in terms of time and space and distance, your ability to close the gap between where you are and where you want to be will be much more efficient. Sometimes, even when we are offering analogies such as this one about you and your canoe in the stream, you want to apply your usual action-oriented tendencies. In other words, Often our physical friends accept our premise that what they want is downstream, so they want to get pointed in that right direction, and then they want to hurry downstream. How can I get downstream to the things that I desire faster? I'll focus better. I'll try harder. I'll work longer. But we want you to understand that those determined attitudes only cause you to again turn upstream. Once you are pointed downstream in this current of life, it is not necessary to put a motor on your boat in an attempt to make it go faster. The current will carry you. Just let go of the oars. 
when you're no longer paddling against the current, when you release your oars and relax into your own natural well-being, the current, which is ever moving in the direction of that which you have become and all that you want, will carry you toward your desires. The belief that there's something to overcome automatically points you upstream. Understanding that all you desire is easily attainable by you automatically points you downstream. And once you understand that, you are practicing the art of allowing your natural well-being to flow to you and you to it. And that is the art of allowing yourself to be the you that life has caused you to become. Chapter 9. The Law of Attraction Needs No Practice There are three powerful universal laws that are of value for you to understand if you wish to guide your life deliberately. And the law of allowing is the last of these. It would seem logical that we would talk of the first law, then the second, and finally the third. And we have done exactly that in previous books. We are, however, emphasizing this third important law because it is really the law that you have come here in this time and space intending to master. This is the law that you must practice if you are to become the deliberate creator that you came forth to be. The first law, the law of attraction, is not something that you need to practice or even something that you can practice, for it is a law that exists in every particle of the universe, and it just is. Just as your earthly law of gravity requires no practice, but just consistently responds to all matter in a consistent way, neither does the law of attraction need practice. You do not have gravity instructors teaching you how to avoid falling up, because falling up instead of down is not an option or a problem. And, in like manner, you will not need to practice in order to cause the powerful law of attraction to respond to you in a consistent way, for it will bring things to you that match your vibration, and it will do so even in your ignorance of the law. The second of these three powerful universal laws is the law of deliberate creation. By deliberately directing your attention and thoughts toward the outcome that you desire, you can be or do or have anything that you choose. The application of this powerful law has resulted in the manifestation of this magnificent planet upon which you live and in everything that you're able to see. And in the same way that the non-physical source energy applied this law and through powerful focus created this environment that you call life on planet Earth, you are continuing the process of creation from your physical vantage point. Living the Law of Allowing And while these first two laws are of extreme importance, and your awareness of them is of great value to you and to all that is, your understanding and application of this third law, the law of allowing, is really where all of your personal power lies. The law of attraction says, the essence of that which is likened to itself is drawn. And what that means is, if I feel unappreciated because of circumstances that have recently occurred in my experience, the law of attraction cannot now surround me with people who appreciate me. That would defy the law of attraction. If I feel fat and unhappy about the way my body looks and feels, I cannot discover the process or state of mind that's necessary to achieve a good-feeling, good-looking body. That would defy the law of attraction. If I feel discouraged about my financial situation, it cannot improve. Improvement in the face of discouragement would defy the law of attraction. If I'm angry because people have been taking advantage of me, lying to me, dishonoring me, and even defacing my property, no action that I can take can stop those unpleasant things from happening, for that would defy the law of attraction. The law of attraction simply and accurately reflects back to you in a myriad of ways an accurate response to your vibrational output. 
In short, whatever is happening to you is a perfect vibrational match to the current vibration of your being, and the emotions that are present within you indicate that vibrational state of being. Once aware of the powerful law of attraction, many people make a conscious decision to be more in control of their own thoughts, for they have come to understand the power of focusing thought. People attempt to control and more effectively focus their thoughts through a variety of methods, ranging from hypnosis, or an attempt to control unconscious thoughts, to meditations, affirmations, and strong methods of mind control. But there is a much easier way of going about the deliberate creation of your own experience and of fulfilling your intention for this joyous life experience, and that is an understanding and application of the art of allowing. It is the conscious, gentle guiding of your thoughts in the general direction of the things that you desire. And as you come to understand this powerful stream of life that we are explaining, and as you get a glimpse of the larger picture of who you really are, and, most important, as you become convinced that your true work is to simply realign with who you really are, the art of allowing will become second nature to you. Go with the flow of well-being. And so we will devote this entire book to assisting you in going with the flow of your natural well-being. We will discuss the essence of nearly every conceivable situation that you could find yourself in, and we will offer guidance and suggestions that will cause you to turn and go with the natural current. We will help you consciously rediscover the amazing sensory perception that you were born with that helps you determine the direction of your true path. And it is our expectation that as you read this book and return to your conscious awareness of the amazing power of your emotions, you will become the allower of the well-being that you are from your broader non-physical source energy point of view. The most common misunderstanding that prevents people from getting control of a situation and gaining their personal balance is the belief that I need to get to where I want to be right now or as quickly as possible. We certainly understand your desire to find the answers to your questions quickly or to solve your problems as fast as you can, but still that urge works against you. When you feel an urgency to be somewhere else, you are pushing hard against where you are. That is upstream. But an even more important flaw in the premise you are beginning from is this. In your belief that you must hurry to an improved place, you are discounting the power of the stream, its speed, its direction, and its promise. And in the forgetting of those things, you are definitely pointed in the opposite direction of who you truly are and all that you have become. So now, turn your attention once again to the upstream-downstream analogy and feel for a moment the sensation of relief that you would experience if you had been paddling against the current in an upstream direction and then suddenly just stop paddling in an attitude of giving in to the stream and letting it just turn you and take you downstream. Let this picture soothe you even further as you try now to remember that this stream is benevolent and wise and it is actually taking you toward the things that you want. In your mind's eye, lie back in your boat, feel it turn naturally downstream and relax into the idea that this stream will carry you to your inevitable well-being and to a fulfillment of your desires. You are adding power to the stream. The following pages of this book have the potential to help you quickly align with everything you've ever wanted, but that alignment will not be likely unless you've taken the time to accept the validity of the analogy of the stream. If you can accept from your non-physical vantage point, before your physical birth, you had set forth intentions, and those intentions account for part of the momentum of the stream, and that as you are here in this physical body, life causes you to ask for more things, and that those things account for part of the momentum of the stream, and that in all that you've lived, 
you are constantly shooting vibrational rockets out ahead of you and that those rockets account for part of the momentum of the stream. And most of all, if you can accept that your inner being, the source within you, now stands in vibrational alignment with all of that becoming and that the law of attraction is drawing to that furthermost summoning point, now you understand the power of this stream. So now before you read further, just lie back for a moment and contemplate this wonderful, powerful stream of well-being which moves unendingly in the direction of your becoming and toward the fulfillment of that which is you. And now you're ready to apply the upstream-downstream comparison toward any and all aspects of your own life experience. It's our expectation that you're now ready to personally acknowledge thought by thought if you're pointed upstream or downstream and whether you're closing the gap between you and you or are holding yourself unnaturally apart. 